when I flipped my lens to realize that this is opening up opportunities for our children, for other people that I don't even know who they are, for my friends' kids that they can come and work and have a little bit of side business and some side money. That changed the entire scope for us. And that's when things really started to grow. Pull up a seat to the table. You are listening to the Luminary Leadership Podcast, where we elevate successful entrepreneurs into powerful leaders doing work that really matters. After working with countless entrepreneurs, I've noticed a theme. No matter the level of success achieved, they get to this place where they're asking, now what? If you're listening to this, you get it. You're craving more impact. You want to do work that means something, and you want to be known for it, too. Somewhere along the way, it wasn't just about growing a business anymore. It became time to build your legacy. Plus, building the dream at the expense of everything else that matters, family, freedom, joy, is no dream at all. The Luminary Leadership Podcast is where industry leaders come to break through to their next level of achievement, purpose, and impact. I'm your host, Elizabeth Hartke, and I'm here to raise up this generation of leaders, us, so we can do our part in raising up the next generation of little luminaries. Get ready as we break down all things entrepreneurial leadership in a way that isn't being talked about. We both know you don't just need another strategy. It's time for your breakthrough. Okay, buckle up for one of my all-time favorite interviews on this show. So I had my friend Ginny Urich on the show. If you've heard of 1,000 Hours Outside, the entire premise of Ginny's movement and her company is really propelling kids to get outside and experience all the beauty that nature has to offer and the benefits that it has on their growth and their leadership and possibility. But today's conversation really went in a direction I didn't expect. So yes, we talk about that if you're interested in that, but really the conversation was about the birth of this movement and how it came to be so organically for Ginny and how her pain in her life as a mother really propelled her into where she was being led. So if you are an entrepreneur and you are raising kids, this is an episode you have to hear because the way that she talks about and gives strategic tactical steps on how you can do this too. The way she brought her kids into the business and the benefits of entrepreneurship for her family and how she is integrating the worlds and her missions of a thousand hours outside her business with raising her five children is not only inspiring and beautiful, but it's evidence of what's possible. And it's an opportunity for us to look at the callings that are placed on our heart very differently. It doesn't have to be this compartmentalized life of, you know, juggling motherhood over here and trying to build a business on the side over here. It can be huge opportunity and success in both worlds by bringing them together. So there's practical wisdom in today's episode, not to mention the fact that she's just a wealth of knowledge around so many different things. I think she dropped maybe 10 or 12 different book recommendations. My list of books that I need to be getting has just grown tenfold thanks to Ginny. And she's just doing such important work in the world. Right now, the average amount of time that kids are spending outside, this is tragic, is four to seven minutes. But the data shows that the amount of time they should be spending outside for their brain development, for their growth, for critical thinking skills, for leadership should be four to seven hours. 
And the average amount of time that kids today are spending on their tablets and on devices is four to seven hours. So we have it completely backwards. So I want you to hear about this movement because it's really powerful. But more importantly, I want you to hear about her incredible journey into entrepreneurship and how she's brought her kids into the mix in such a powerful way and the effect that it's having on their growth and their possibility in their lives. Okay, let's get to the show. Okay, Ginny, I am so excited to have you on the show because I've been following along for a while now, the work that you're doing with the thousand hours outside. So today's conversation selfishly is one I've been personally dying to have, but I just wanted to thank you for being here with us. Oh, Liz, thanks for having me. This is actually a unique opportunity for me because it's a a little bit of a different topic with entrepreneurship. So I'm really excited about it. Yeah, well, you've built something pretty special, speaking of entrepreneurship. So can you tell the listeners a little bit more about what inspired A Thousand Hours Outside? What is it? You know, what makes you tick with it? Because I know you've created quite the movement and a lot of our listeners will really resonate both with the movement itself, but also love to hear that kind of rags to riches story of how it came to be. Well, it's been a long time coming, Liz. and. I actually started writing on a blog because blogs were the thing back in 2013. So we're coming on 10 years here. So I think that's always an important thing. It's like you read in people's biographies and autobiographies that sometimes it seems seems like things pop up quickly, but really there's often a lot of just time, uh, maybe not like time where you're overwhelmed or anything like that, but just time in the background that things tend to sometimes just grow slowly. But my story really is birthed out of failure. That's where it comes from. When our kids were really small, and I know you're in this stage with little ones and pregnant, we had three under three for a little while. And I just from the get-go felt like I could not keep up. I was failing all the time. There was too many needs. And I was in a bad space as a mom, just kind of depressed and discouraged and down and really kind of wishing away the years, even though I knew that they were special and I didn't want to wish them away. And so I was in this rough spot and I had, you know, sometimes you have these singular experiences that change your whole trajectory. I had a friend, I went to the Mops, uh, Mothers of Preschoolers, and she had said that there was this woman named Charlotte Mason, and I didn't know who Charlotte Mason was. Turns out she's from like the 1800s, but my friend didn't tell me that. Um, she just said, Charlotte Mason says kids should be outside for four to six hours a day whenever the weather is tolerable. And I just thought that was absurd. Like who does anything for four to six hours a day? Who has the time for that? But then let alone, what are the kids going to do? You know, when you have little ones, I think you know, you're doing all these things, you're making sensory bins, and you're doing all of these things that take a lot of effort and homemade Play-Doh. And they play with it for a little bit, but there's never this expanse of time. And so basically, I thought her idea and Charlotte Mason's idea, who I didn't know of, but I've learned a lot of about her since and her ideas have really stemmed time here. But I just thought it was an outlandish idea, and it was going to crash and burn. But this friend invited me to go with her. And we went to a park from nine in the morning to one in the afternoon. That was the plan, four hours. And I thought it was going to be a complete and utter failure. That kids were going to be whiny and fighting and 
anyway, we had these three little ones we each did. And it turned out to be my best day as a mom because it was the only good day I'd had so far. I hadn't really had a good day. And that was a good day because the kids played and I left feeling refreshed. So I had this one singular day experience. I can remember it, all the details. It was in 2011. It was over 10 years ago. And because the day went so well, we really changed how we were doing early childhood. And it was just sort of how we lived for a couple years, which was prioritizing these larger chunks of time with a small group of friends. And a couple years in, we had not run into any other kids outdoors, not on the trails, not anywhere. And it was very noticeable that the kids were not outside. And so I think because the outdoor time had changed my life so much. And then I was able to see how much it was changing our kids. You know, at the beginning, I just did it for myself. But then I'm like, oh, the kids aren't getting sick and they're sleeping better and they're eating better and they're thriving and they're happier and all these things. And then it turns out there's research upon research about how outdoor play, simple outdoor play helps kids in every facet of their development. I started to write about it back in 2013. And I added up how much time we were spending outside partially because I used to be a math teacher, so I'm kind of drawn to numbers, but partially because statistics are part of our world. And the statistic was out there that kids are on screens for four to seven hours a day on average, and they're outside for four to seven minutes. So I was just curious, like how much time are we getting outside? And it was about 18 to 20 hours a week on average, you know, more in the summer, less in the winter where we live in Michigan, but about that on average a week with this little nature group and it ended up being 1,200 hours a year, which was exactly the number at that time of screen time for American kids, 1,200 hours a year. And we're not anti-screen. Our kids you know, play video games and things here and there. But um, it just was eye-opening because I thought, well, what if all of these experiences had instead gone to screens? And we had this like rich and full life with these deep relationships and all of these very simple but very meaningful experiences that we had had. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to write about it. Basically how nature time completely transformed our family. I'm going to call it 1000 hours outside because it's a little catchier than 1200 hours outside with this sort of goal of bringing back balance to life, to childhood between the real world and the virtual world. And those numbers that Charlotte Mason said four to six hours a day whenever the weather is tolerable is actually really echoed today in the research as well. So Angela Hanscom, who's a pediatric occupational therapist, she has a book called Balanced and Barefoot, where she says, ideally, kids would be outside for three hours a day all throughout childhood, you know, but life is messy and who can actually really get outside practically every single day for three hours. So we have this overarching goal for the year to flood it with hands-on real-life experiences. And so, you know, maybe a camping trip here or there or different things help to balance out the days when, you know, we have appointments or just the things of life, people get sick and we can't get out there. Mm, I want to, there are so many things that I'm just kind of jotting down notes as you're talking because first of from the entrepreneurial angle and being a lot of our listeners are, entrepreneurs who are also raising families and they feel really called to both missions. It's not a, you know, I have this little side gig, but I'm primarily with my kids and it's not a, you know, I 
am running this mega corporation and I neglect my kids. Like they care deeply about both of these things. And oftentimes what we hear is people feel really split in two and they feel really defeated because it's hard to show up in two really critical missions at the same time. But what I love is how, you know, one of the things we preach is this integration of those two worlds. And it was almost like when you were all, and totally correct me if I'm off kilter, but just listening to you talk in the beginning, when you were all in on the kids, like there weren't that many good days. So first of all, I want to highlight that because I think sometimes as parents, especially parents of young kids, we can feel like we are so broken or we are such terrible parents Mm -hmm. because we're calculating our days. And at the end of the day, we're like, this sucks. Like this was painful and I was Mm -hmm. frustrated and I was short with them and they were frustrated with me. And like, am I even giving them what they need? So I just wanted to thank you for your vulnerability and your willingness to say those words, Mm -hmm. because not that we want to allow that to become our norm because Ginny said like she had years where it was, it was bad, but allow us to see how that's such a part of the process, especially with multiple kids or young kids. But then it almost was like when you created a mission around these children that ultimately became a beautiful movement and business and soon to be a book and all of these different things that are happening for you, it had more intention and purpose behind it. And it started to um, just blossom and bloom. And the mission that you have is so I've witnessed it. It's the reason we bought the property that we bought of having all this land, um, was because I wanted my kids outside. Like I, and we're in Wisconsin, so I get it. (laughs) It -hmm. would be, you could hit those thousand hours a lot easier if you lived in a more tepid, you know, normal, warm climate, whatever. But I've just seen. I want to. Ha- can I hop in? Yeah, can I hop please. In on the the on the two critical missions because this is why I said I was super excited about your podcast because <laughs> there's a little bit of a different angle. And I was writing for 1,000 hours outside, and it was really up and down in the beginning because we had moved and new jobs and more kids. You know, at the beginning, I only had three kids, but now we have five. So you're bringing new kids into the world, and there's all those times of transition. And so I looked at it for many years as something that was taking from our family. Mm-hmm. And so I wouldn't put as much into it or I would feel guilty. And then I read this book by John Holt called Learning All the Time. And it's a really short one. John Holt is is um, not alive anymore, but he wrote a lot of books about learning. And Learning All the Time is a subtitle with like how kids learn how to read, write, and count Um without being taught is actually the subtitle. So it's a fascinating book and it's a short read. And in that book, he talks about how kids need to see the processes by which work is done. So he says they need to see a table built from start to finish. They need to see real adult work. And it is our job to sort of be pulling them step by step into more of a view of what adult work in the adult world is like. And so at that time, I was like, oh, that was a really a life-changing thing. And he said, your kids should see you learning. He says, you know, basically like bring them in, bring them into your hobbies, bring them into what you're doing. And then he says, he had a caveat, which I thought was really funny. He said, if you have no skills, which I think sometimes <laughs> some of us think that, you know, mm-hmm. if you have no skills to speak of, he said, then learn something. 
mm-hmm. and, and allow your kids to see you learning. So I was thinking, you know, our kids were maybe like 10 and under at that point. And so I was trying to pass the buck off to my husband. I was like, he was in, you know, a corporate role at that point. I'm like, can the kids, <laughs> can the kids go on any of your work trips? <laughs> you know, <laughs> can the kids, <laughs> can they sit in on any of your phone calls? You know, he's like, well, absolutely not. You know, so I tried at the beginning to take the angle because I thought, well, yeah, like our kids. At that point, I'm like, I'm just directing and telling them everything to do. But I'm like, no, you know, we have to model. And so with 1,000 hours outside, I still had it, and I thought, you know, what if I shifted the focus and brought them in, you know, at different ages and stages. And so at the very beginning, they helped pick out T-shirts and colors, and they sat in the meeting with the guy that makes them, and they were bored, you know, they but they took a little bit of notes, and I had them help with email, you know, so that they would have these experiences. Well, you know, we had these t-shirts and I didn't know if they would sell. I spent a thousand dollars, Liz. I was like, I'm wasting a thousand dollars, you know, but then they did sell and then you're able to buy more. And we have like a retail arm of our business. But what was really cool was that we were getting these t-shirts and it was during COVID and, and this guy, this t-shirt guy, he would give our t-shirts back so quick, like like five days we'd have our shirts back. So like if I had messed up orders, it was no big deal. Cause I could get another one really quick. Well, then that time started to lengthen, you know, it was like 10 days, two weeks, you know, three weeks. So I was like, finally, I was like, hey, you know, the t-shirts used to come back a lot quicker than this. What's going on? And in front of my kids, he said, when COVID hit, he said, all of the schools, everything shut down, all the sports programs, he said, and your business kept ours afloat. Oh, my gosh. And I thought, wow, what a thing for our kids to have heard and that this understanding, you know, entrepreneurship is not anything I ever imagined that we would be a part of, but the ways in which we rub shoulders with others, the ways in which our lives interconnect in a way that lifts everyone up. And so our kids have had so many experiences. I, um, I keynoted for this conference in Florida. It's the largest homeschool conference in the world. I keynoted last spring. It's called FPEA. It's in Orlando. It's this coolest conference. And our and our two daughters got to play guitar and do a song on the stage. They got a standing ovation. So when I flipped my lens to realize that this is opening up opportunities for our children, for other people that I don't even know who they are, for my friends' kids that they can come and work and have a little bit of side business and some side money. That changed the entire scope for us. And that's when things really started to grow. Oh man. I just, I still have like, I started to well up when you said that about the guy who made the t-shirts, because isn't that such a gift that you've given your children to bear witness to the heartbeat of what entrepreneurship can be? It's not just transactional, which a lot of the entrepreneurial culture right now, you know, preaches, you know, charge your worth and make more money and do this and do that with taking the humanity out of it. But we have this unique, rare opportunity as entrepreneurs to bring our kids into the fray and to allow them, allow our business to become our classroom. You know, we homeschool too. And it's really new to me. I didn't grow up homeschooling and it was like, man, are we making the right decision? Are we screwing up our kids? And then I started to see their interest because our company does work with so many families and we were prepping for 
an event for our Camp Luminary event, which brings out entrepreneurs and the leaders they're raising their children. So families, excuse me, families together to reconnect and to cast their mission as a family that includes the business and how are the kids involved, even if they're young. And I saw my kids get it. Like they were like, wait, there are going to be other kids there and their parents run their own business. And that's powerful, Liz. Wow. It was so cool. And they wanted to, you know, one of the, her team members, Caitlin, her daughter is really young, but she loves graphic design and she designed the shirts for the event. And my son, yeah, huge. And my son is really shy, but there's a piece he's kind of like me in the earlier years before I was more comfortable with speaking. Like I really wanted to do it, but I was terrified. So he emceed some of the stuff as a seven-year-old, like just so many cool things came to life from it. And I just had this moment of clarity of like, man, Liz, this is exactly how your parents raised you. Like not on, not super intentionally, like I'm doing like, oh, I want to make the business a classroom, but because they're like, we don't have a nanny. You're coming with mom to this meeting, or you're going with dad to that appointment. And it was such a gift. It cultivated me into who I am and taught me, all right, how do you make eye contact when you talk to somebody? And when, when one of your, your clients is going through something difficult, how can you go above and beyond and be more human and over deliver and go show up at their house and bring them cookies because they just lost someone they love, even though it's not even in the spectrum of what you do from a business perspective. And we get to give that beautiful gift to our children. And I think that's why your business has become such a movement too, is because it isn't just about, you know, there there are transactions. That's how you guys stay afloat, but it's, mm-hmm. it's about so much more than that. And, and yeah. bringing your kids into that blessing is such a powerful, powerful thing that you guys are doing. Yeah. And I love that's, watching that's it. That's my favorite part about entrepreneurship and something that I had no idea would happen at the beginning. And it just continues to your, your life rubs shoulders with other people and mm-hmm. your kids have all of these open doors and new relationships. I see, um, I just had this guy on our podcast, John Acuff, and he's like a, a business leadership guy. He's funny. And he just wrote a book with his daughters as he's an author and he'd written a bunch of books. And then the opportunity arose where he wrote a book with his daughters. Actually, they wrote it. They're like, um, let's say they're maybe like 15 and 19 or something like that, high school and college. And they wrote it and he edited it. It's like, you know, we don't know what doors we're opening up for our children in this process of working hard and having our own thing. But it was completely, it's completely different than, like I said, when I asked my husband, you know, can the kids come on this business trip with you? What's well, like, absolutely no, they cannot. Mm-hmm. And, um, but when it's our own thing, the doors are wide open for us to make our own decisions and to have it be a family thing. And it changes everything. Yeah. And I think it's important to note it is a way harder freaking path. Like it's way easier for me to do my work when I lock myself in my office for eight hours and I don't have my seven, five or three-year-old busting through the door. But when I have this mentality of intentionality and I'm like, yes, I'm going to have to carve out, you know, this podcast interview, we're not going to be interrupted because I've escaped the crazies on purpose (laughs) for one hour. But I also have time set aside today that's a part of their homeschooling, you know, on this Tuesday that we're recording this, that is my son coming in and and my, our second oldest, our daughter coming in and working with me on some design stuff for the business. So it'll take me longer. I'll have to, you know, sit through the million questions, 
but it's purposeful and it has intention behind it. And I planned for it. So I think Mm -hmm. sometimes we just want to get the work done, create the boundaries, have the off, you know, the hours that we're in our office and then go be mom. But are we missing an opportunity and a gift in kind of knocking down those boundaries a little bit? And even if the conversation, even if the integration is you run a business that they're not going to be alongside you as you're doing the work, but Mm -hmm. at dinner, around the dinner table as a family, you include them in the big decisions or you talk about what's upcoming and you ask them, Hey, how would you handle this? Or we're, we're really struggling with this thing. Any ideas of how we can solve the problem? Like just bringing them into the conversation can be just as powerful. If maybe you don't run a business that your three-year-old can be sitting on your lap as you do. Right. It. Right. Sure. Or could be on a podcast with you or something like that, which sure. we have been able to do that. I remember I always think like the things that I had exposure to as a child, and even if it was very, very brief, but you have exposure of speaking, you have exposure of cooking certain foods, let's say as a child, and then as an adult, I feel completely comfortable doing any of those things. But things I did not have exposure to as a child, I always feel shaky about and mm-hmm. I cannot get over it. I cannot you know, of course you can learn new things and you can grow, but that that baseline competence is not there. And so I think about that with our kids, like, you know, if they can sit in on one podcast and join in, if they can make a video, if they can create a whatever, if they can send an email, if they can join in on this different conversation, if they can travel and meet new people, whatever the thing may be, if they can sit in and, and talk about business strategy a little bit, you know, like you say, around the dinner table, it doesn't have to be much. It's just Mm -hmm. these small touch points. And I think it will open their eyes for what's ahead for them. Uh, We had Kim John Payne on our podcast and he said, by 2030, 75% of jobs will be had by entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. and or people who are juggling several jobs. Sure. So, you know, it's highly likely that our kids are going to be in an entrepreneurial role and all of these things are really setting them up for that and, and enhancing our experience along the way. I think. I think so too. It's teaching. How is that not, you know, a great teacher for us and in patience and, um, you know, holding us accountable to what we're modeling and the leadership that we're developing in them. We have to be willing to live by it in our own work and what we're doing And I'm curious too, just from a leadership perspective, because that's what we're really focused on over here is, you know, the work that you're doing specifically with the thousand hours outside, how do you see the correlation or the connection between that concept and that mission and developing our kids as leaders? Well, that's a good question. You know, I think that, and this is not anything that I could have ever predicted, although I guess it kind of makes sense, but technology is continuing to ramp up. And I am reading this really eye-opening book called The Singularity is Near. And it's by a man named Ray Kurzweil. And he, I actually know of him because he like, I play the piano and he makes keyboards. So I had some of his keyboards like back in the nineties, I guess. Um, Hmm. But anyway, he talks a lot about basically the metaverse. He was like predicting it back when he wrote this book and He's been making these predictions about technology for a long time. And I think something like 85% of his predictions have come true. But, you know, he has these things in his book about how 
within the next 10, 15 years, like there's going to be hardly any difference between real life and virtual life. That Terrifying. It is terrifying. And, and he has, it's called the singularity is near and he has, gosh, I can't remember when it was written. It was written before Facebook. And mm-hmm. so it is bizarre to read about like virtual reality and living in this virtual world. And then it was before Facebook even existed. And so now there's this meta. So this guy is kind of like right on the money with a lot of things. And he has a book coming out next year in 2024 called The Singularity is Nearer. It's basically like this mix of your biology with computers. It's like transhumanism. So I don't know. I'm not like, I'm not all bought into that. Although you do see you do see see the path with virtual reality glasses and all these types of things. But I think that the things that I read talk about how there's there's no ethics behind any of it. And yeah. no one is looking at the promise versus the peril. Like, what are the downsides? And I think there are things coming out, like there's this organization called the Center for Humane Technology, but that these scientists and these inventors, they are just full steam ahead and there's no one there to pump the brakes. And so- mm-hmm. With 1,000 hours outside, whereas at the beginning, it was like, hey, I just need to have a better experience as a mom, and I want to enhance my kid's childhood. I think that it has become a little bit more of a dire necessity because our kids have to know what they're up against. I think they also have to know how important hands-on life is and real relationships and not just ones that are through the screen. And the numbers are so high for our kids these days, like depression and anxiety and suicide and things have skyrocketed because we have taken away the mainstays that make us human and everyone is struggling. And so I think this gives our kids opportunity to be leaders and to have a voice in that life because they have lived it. You know, our oldest has lit, he's been outside for 10,000 hours. Is that, you know, more than that's what they say is like the the thing for expertise, right? That Mm 10,000 hour rule. But, you know, they have lived this life where they have had imposed balance in their childhood. And I think going forward, that is going to be something that I hope that they lead out in because our world is just becoming more and more enmeshed with technology. Yeah. We're coming off the heels with our podcast of, um, an entire month dedicated to tech and how to break of the addictions of it. And even from a business angle, I think sometimes we as entrepreneurs hide under the guise of like, oh, well, I need to be on my phone or I need to be, you know, like we, we can come up with excuses, but when we look at reality, we're like, all right, yeah. And then you spent like an extra hour scrolling Instagram or whatever. And because this technology is designed to be so addictive and, and to your point, these creators are not sitting there looking you know, checking their moral compass or saying, how are we weaving virtue into what we're doing? They're saying, how far can we take this? Like how wild can this ride be? And that's their mission and there's money fueling it. And And I think they're trying to, I think that they're trying to extend their lifetime that, Mm -hmm. um, so there's this book called digital madness that just came out this year by Dr. Nicholas Carderis. And he is a fabulous author. He also wrote a book six or seven years ago called Glow Kids about screen addiction. I read that. Such a good one. And so this is a follow-up, which is basically like, we know now that our screens are addictive. That has been proven. His first book, I think, was about giving people a voice and saying, yeah, like what you're seeing is actually happening. It's like a digital slot machine. And then 
this follow-up book is like, okay, well, if this is the world we're living in, how do we deal with it? Right. And that's sort of what he alluded to. We we actually talked earlier this year and he was saying that in this some odd way, this transhumanism thing that certain people are trying to extend their lifetime. And so there's a lot going on behind the scenes. And I think that we are going to have, to, he says basically like we have to fight for our humanity. That's what he says. And I'm like, I think yeah. that's kind of the point at this point, which is that, you know, our kids are going to be the ones that are going to have to stand up and fight for humanity. I agree. And I think that doing this work of allowing them, you know, just from the concept of what you're doing, like thousand hours outside, when I see my kids, when I'm like, you guys are driving me freaking crazy. Let me cook dinner, get outside. And then I watch from the window and I watch what unfold, you know, they grumble about it. They're like, no, I want to do whatever. I want to play inside or I want to watch a show or all the complaints come. And then they go outside and it's like, all of a sudden a spark is lit. And they get so creative and that boredom turns into creativity and possibility and ingenuity. And then I can't drag them back inside because they've (laughs) made, you know, a tree fort outside or my daughter's plant, like replanting my beautiful flowers from our garden that she's dug up and that she's replanting over (laughs) here, whatever the thing is. And I'm like, you know what? I don't care. Do whatever makes you come alive and makes you creative. And that's the stuff that turns our kids into critical thinkers and problem solvers and innovators. And that's what our world needs. I mean, you know, we have the internet, so we don't need to be stuffed with facts. We Mm -hmm. have to be prepared for the future by being flexible and adaptable. And that is what play gives to our children. And all the while, it enhances their lives. And so they're having a really good today that, and we're having a better today because they're more creative. That Kim John Payne, who I talked about earlier, he says, you know, basically like, the best babysitter is your kid's creativity. Now, when I know mm-hmm. they're one, two, three, you know, they might not be there yet. Our kids took a while to get there. But in the long run, it's best for them and for you if they have the capacity to play creatively and to be able to structure their own time and they don't have every minute directed to them, which these these days, that is a lot of how parenting is. I think people use the phrase over-parenting. And it feels like it's the right way. It's done with good intention, but it is really hampering our kids' ability to be able to take their own time and do with it what they will and figure out, well, like you said earlier, what makes them tick, what makes them come alive. All of these things we learn, I think, in those open spaces. Yeah, absolutely. And it's um, such a gift of equipping our kids we can give them because you said it like they really are up against something that we weren't up against. Like our competition was, you know, the television set that my mom could be like, I'm canceling cable. Like you're out of luck, kid. Like we're not watching this. Yeah, we didn't have cable. So it was only a couple channels and things weren't on all the time. I mean, that is a huge difference between our childhood and our kids' childhoods. I mean, depending on people were born, but the fact that there is streaming content 24-7 on all sorts of things, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. well, there's Netflix, but then there's regular TV and then there's YouTube. I mean, there is more content than could ever be consumed and, and that's what they're up against and all of the algorithms and the videos that come up and watch this next and it auto plays and yep. There's so much. So our goal is to teach our kids to fill their lives with what they want to fill it with first and leave the leftover time for technology. And so I hope that this modeling 
sticks with them. In fact, the other day I saw someone posted this. They had a thousand hours outside cake made. It was a second oh, year in a row. And it was, it's a really cute cake, Liz. It was like a tree and it was cut into four sections and each one was a different season on the tree. It was like this awesome cake. And this mom and her son, they took a picture and I thought, you know, what we're doing is we're celebrating real life. We're celebrating what it is that, you know, part of what it is that makes us human. And, and I think those things need to be celebrated in the day and age that we live in. I agree completely. And it's such an opera, you know, I, I'm sure you've ra- I've written down like six books you've mentioned. So you've really increased my reading list of things that I have to dive into. But one that has really stuck with me is hold on to your kids. And the whole premise is about how our children are designed really to attach to us. Like that's how human nature is designed yet because of the way that the school system is structured for the last hundred years and um, you know, especially technology, kids are attaching to their peers and it's causing major issues with their development and their confidence. And we're seeing so much more anxiety and then slap on top of that, the fact that they to your point, you were talking about how, you know, it's like information overload with these devices because we have yeah. access to everything, but we also are being hit with everything. Like it's coming at us and our brains are not designed to process yeah. that. So we, our kids are receiving more in one week than kids decades ago were wow. receiving in a, in a lifetime, in a lifetime. Yeah. So it leads to anxiety. It leads to focus issues. It leads to depression. It leads to dependency. And it's just, it's really killing our society. But, you know, you sound like a crazy when you say that because everyone's like, oh, it's no big deal. Like my kids, my kids on an iPad all day and they're fine. It's like, all right, well, you don't know what this is going to turn into. So we have to just be really intentional and conscious. And, and, you know, I'm not anti- device or screen. I'm sitting on one right now as I'm interviewing you. I use my phone for different things. My kids don't have their own devices, but they're pretty young. We have a TV that we don't have cable, but we do movies each week. And so I'm not like opposed to it. And the reality is, is that there's a high likelihood that they'll need to utilize these tools, but how can we keep them as tools versus turning the kid into a tool and the device is controlling our kids? Right. Right. And that's the big difference is Mm -hmm. how are we using it? And information overload is definitely a thing. And so, you know, we can help our kids with that. I always wondered about, you know, when I was a kid, it's like you got bullying situations or just hard things that are going on in school. Like for me, I remember seventh grade as being one of those years yeah, with all the friends and the girls. And I just think sometimes like, how would it be if that would have come home with me? Like, at least I got to leave. At least at three o'clock, I was home and I'd have, you know, a break until I had to go back the next day. But these kids don't get any break. And and that Kim John Payne, he has a book that came out earlier this year called Emotionally Resilient Teens and Tweens, which is actually like a book I think every family should be because it's about bullying. And in every form, he goes through bullying in every form. Like being ignored is a form of bullying, like where you feel like you're not seen, but cyberbullying and just like the typical types of bullying that we remember as kids, people being mean or, or whatever. It's like a phenomenal format of a book because he has kids who have actually gone through these different scenarios and what they did to make it stop. And so it's, it's one of those like really good resource books to have. But one of the things, the topics that he brings up 
time and time again is strengthen the family base camp. Yep. And he said, you know, like when we have a harbor, when we have a safe place that we can go and we can get away from it, you know, then we're going to come into life more confident and more prepared and more just able to deal with adversity and things that are hard. And so I loved that part of it, you know, which is like when our kids are in our home and we have this time together, like this is time to strengthen the family base camp and to let those other things aside. We're the same as you. We're not like anti-technology. We're like pro-balance is probably right. what I would say. Um, and we're so out of balance. I mean, if kids are literally on screens for four to seven hours, but outside for four to seven minutes, we are a, such a far cry from balance. And so it's something that we have to really work at. I've got a friend, Erin Lochner. She wrote this book called Chasing Slow. I love Erin. I love Erin. And I just think that title of a book is phenomenal. Like you do have to chase it. It doesn't, yeah. it's not the natural thing that comes. And I know you talk a lot about hustle and, and trying to balance entrepreneurship and not, and not toiling and, and always hustling. But I, I like that because it's a reminder that it's something that we have to work out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have to fight for it because it's mm -hmm. it's almost like we're fighting nature now, you know, because right. the world has changed, the family dynamic has changed. And that's that's such a core value of ours, just both as a family and as a company, is I don't want to help someone grow their business at the expense of their family. So how can we make mm -hmm. how can we put the family first and really strengthen that unit and then allow the abundance that flows from the power of the family mission into the entrepreneurial mission and doing it in alignment with who we are, not comparing ourselves to the person who's willing to sacrifice that to get to the quote top only to find that it's pretty lonely up there when their family hardly knows them. Yeah. Instead yeah. saying, maybe it took me 10 years instead of five, or maybe I didn't make $5 million. I made three or what, like whatever the end game is, but I did it in integrity with what I really am called to do on this earth, which is to raise up the next generation who's going to go on and hopefully dig us out of this giant hellscape hole that's been created. <laughs> uh, so I want to close with just one question that I have out of curiosity, again, kind of selfishly, because obviously, you know, if the people listening, some of them, many of them are entrepreneurs, they already are pretty well conditioned with the idea of taking a less conventional path. They're you know, mm -hmm. they're courageous and they're pursuing what's on their heart and all of that. But I know for me, the times that I've chosen unconventional paths like homeschooling or, you know, moving to a farm property or whatever it is, running our own business instead of staying in corporate, I've had these moments where the enemy kind of creeps in and says, you're crazy. You're screwing up your kids. You could have a more secure career path or like just all the the voices that pop in. Uh, I would love to know your thoughts on the idea of truly going like the power of truly just going all in and embracing whatever less conventional paths you choose versus kind of having one foot out the door mm. as like a safety net. Like for example, with homeschooling in the beginning, we were basically trying to recreate the classroom in our home. And I was like, what are we doing? Like, this is so dumb. This is not, we're not taking advantage of all the glory that comes with the freedom of homeschooling or same with the business. Like right. all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, I'm working from nine to five every day. That's literally what I broke free from to create something of my own. Like I need to get this back to what I want it to be. So you kind of, you choose unconventional, but then you're like, but I need safety. So you kind of make the unconventional conventional. 
long-winded yeah. question yeah. to ask you yeah. what are your no, thoughts I on totally going all in what you're saying and i actually think a lot of people homeschool that way i mean we sure did well here's the thing my story is one of a succession of failures and basically that's why i am where i am is because of a whole bunch of failures like i was not a thriving mother when my kids were little and i was failing on a day-to-day basis and then you know, we started home educating and I was planning on checking all the boxes. Like I had been a public school teacher, so I knew where to find all the content standards. So I always joke around about like in kindergarten, there's all these content standards, Liz. It's like can throw ball with right hand with left foot back. And (laughs) I mean, it's, I mean, it's just all of the, you know, can distinguish between today, tomorrow and yesterday. I mean, all of these content standards and I, and I knew them and I, was planning on printing them out on a checklist and pinning it up to the wall and checking. Well, then it turned out when our oldest was about to be a kindergartner, like I also had, you know, a three-year-old, a two-year-old and a baby, you know? And so, it. and then my husband had lost his job and we also unrelated lost our home because we had been renting from someone who wasn't paying their mortgage. And so, you know, I think, so then that was a failure. Like we started homeschooling in this way that was not how I expected it to be. And I felt like a failure. And then, you know, I came across those John Holt books and things down the road about modeling. And we, I had this experience, you know, I'm like all gung-ho for modeling. And I had a book, a deal come in. Um, this was a couple years back. And I had someone reach out and they said, you know, we want you to write a book. And I was like, great, this is what I want to write. And they were like, no, you can't write that book. You have to write this book. You know, I guess this is how like publishing companies work. So, you know, you're mm-hmm. learning all the way through. And they wanted me to write this activity book. And I'm not a big activities person, Liz. I'm more like, let's go out, set out the picnic blanket, and you go play. And I want to talk to my friend, or we're going to go on a hike. You're not a super big activities person. But I thought, well, here's an opportunity for me to work with an editor and work with a marketing team and give my kids, what if my kids, they want to write, they like to write, you know, I'll build these relationships. So anyway, so I did this whole thing. Our kids were in all these photos. We did all these nature activities, which actually turned out to be really fun because that reopened my eyes to sort of the simple activities that are out there. But I do this whole book. It was so much work. I had to do all the photography. I'm like not good at photography. I got to wrangle all my kids, their friends. Everyone has to have like clean nails. You know, (laughs) their hair has to be brushed. It was this whole thing. It was like a ton of work. And so I finished this book, Liz. Um, It was in in December a couple of years back. And I, you know, I sent in my manuscript and I had all the photography done and I edited all the photography and the and the editor said this is great. He was really kind. And in January they sent me like a sample chapter, and it was so beautiful. It was like all colorful and cheery, and and I cried. I'm like not even a crier, but it was so <laughs> pretty, and I loved it. And you know, I sent it to my family and all the friends. You know, I'd had a bunch of friends in the book. And the very next day, the editor called and he said, "I'm so sorry." It was in January of 2021. He said, I'm so sorry. He said, COVID has just changed all of our numbers and we had to cut a bunch of books and yours was on the list. No. I was like, oh, like, what is this? Like when you talk about doubt, you know, insecurity and here I'm embarrassed. You know, I had all these friends had joined in and, you know, signed waivers and all my kids, you know, and I'm like, you know, gosh, I've got to go to my kids and all my friends and family and say, I'm so sorry, you know, the book got cut. And 
So what ended up happening was it was done. So we had a friend of ours who was a designer. So talk about like when our worlds collide. Um, He's a homeschool dad. He has this design business called Saint Creative. And he's been a designer for a long time. And so we asked him, he said, you know, if we send you the files, can you lay it out? And he was able to lay it out and he did this beautiful job and we self-published. And mm-hmm. it was a, something that we didn't know anything about. Well, here's what ended up happening, Liz. The books weren't supposed to be in till, till November. Because, you know, they I think they order them from China and it takes months to come. Well, sure. because we did it ourselves, we, ordered, we were able to get them printed here right in the United States. And I got like this couple thousands of books in my hand on April 29th. This is in 2021. And on April 30th, I was on the Today Show. No way. Yeah. And unrelated. They had reached out just completely randomly. The print division and the TV division had both reached out, didn't even know that the other one had reached out. And so they did this combo promo piece, and I was able to include that book in it. So then this, you know, that's the change of the story, like where you go to your whole community and you're dejected and you say, oh, like, I'm so embarrassed. I failed. My book got cut. Then it turned out to be one of the coolest stories, you know, of my entire life, really, the timing of that. And so you just realize that there are things that are out of your control, but there is a divine hand that, you know, we sort of live by this. What can we do today? to keep balance, to keep our family first, to to do the best job that we possibly can. But then that's all that we can do. You know, we can't yeah. control. There's so many things that we cannot control. And my business, our family business, our whole path, the whole thing is birthed out of being a failure. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess it takes away a little bit that fear of failure because you don't know what's to come. And sometimes it's those missteps. It's those it's those things that got canceled. It's the, oh, I dropped the ball. I'm, I'm not as good as I thought I was. I, you know, I wish we were in a different stage, all these different things. And it turns out that, that those things that feel like they're going to drag you down, they turn out to be what ends up making it a special thing and a thing that's successful. So, you know, I've learned that there's less to fear than I thought. And, mm-hmm. and so when I get down, I'm able to draw from those stories. And when I feel when I feel discouraged, I'm also able to, I think, look back at all of the intersections with other people's businesses, you know, to be able to bring someone else business and to be able to help someone launch their book. I mean, there's so many cool things that have happened that I never would have expected. And so it helps keep me motivated because, you know, I wasn't always an entrepreneur and those, I used to be a teacher and I've done a lot of different types of jobs, but these benefits don't exist at least to that level in a lot of other lines of work. It's so true. And it's just such a testament to God's mysterious timing that we have to just really trust and and know that those those failures like they feel like setbacks but they're re- they are propelling us forward into whatever's yeah. next. Like we had to walk through that because we had to be crafted into who we needed to be to handle whatever is yeah. it coming for yeah. us? Yeah, like now we know how to self-publish books. Right. So I had what what came down the road a year later was that I had an opportunity to keynote at this conference. It was like Dr. Ben Carson, and then they had their governor there. They had Ron DeSantis and me. You know, and I was, how cool! <laughs> like, wait, so, but but the caveat was 
you have to have a book. You know, you can't, because that's a lot of times a keynote, they have a book, it gives them, it makes them seem substantial. And, but I didn't have a book, Liz, but I knew how to self-publish a book and I knew how to do a turnaround pretty quickly. And so I was able to, had I not had that self-publishing experience, I wouldn't have been able to do the keynote, which which my girls performed at and got this standing ovation. So it's this whole thing of just taking that next step and and not quitting. You know, I think that's the biggest thing I've learned where there's been a lot of points where I felt like quitting. And instead of quitting, we just take a deep breath. Maybe you slow down. You know, maybe you take a break for a couple of weeks, but you don't throw in the towel completely. And at some point, you know, you'll feel revived enough to come back to it and that there will be a purpose for, you know, the hardships and, and you move forward. Hmm. I'll be coming back to this episode and re-listening to that last part as I navigate the many (laughs) hurdles of entrepreneurship. And I appreciate you so much, the work you're doing, how you're modeling it for us, how honest you are in the process. And I would love to make it as easy as humanly possible for our listeners to come find you, to get their hands on your next book, to get your hands their hands on your past books. What are the best ways for them to connect with you? Oh, I'm easy. Everything is 1,000 hours outside and 1,000 is 1,000. So 1,000hoursoutside.com is where our blog is. And we have these free tracker sheets that people can print out. And we have like a kickoff pack. If you do 1,000 hours outside that has like hiking prompts and book lists, the information for my first published book launches December 20th, 2022 with DK Books. And it's it's actually, Liz, here's the thing. I have four books. I have a children's book called The Little Farmhouse in West Virginia, which a homeschooler illustrated. She just graduated. And so that's really special and unique. It's a friend of ours. But then I have three other books, two are self-published. And then this one is coming out with DK Books. And they're all called 1,000 Hours Outside. I love it. (laughs) I don't really know even kind of how that happened. It just is like how the cards fell. But so I have three other books. One is an activity book, the one that got canceled. One is a book for parents about how nature time helps you reclaim childhood. And it's just inspiration, information about how time in nature sets kids up for success in every facet of their development. And then this one coming out with DK Books is also called 1000 Hours Outside. The tagline there is something like activities to match screen time with green time. And it's a really cool book because DK Books, they do such a fantastic job. And we had over 16,000 photo submissions from around the world. Um, So that book is filled with photos of the 1000 Hours Outside community. It's got like hundreds of seasonal activities that families can do. So that comes out right before the new year and it's available for pre-order now. But all the information is on our website, 1000hoursoutside.com. And then we're on some of the socials like Instagram and Facebook mainly. And we got a newsletter kind of like everyone else. Sure. Well, I'll be sure that we link to everything. So it makes it really easy for people to get their hands on everything. But Ginny, I'm so grateful for you. I'm so thrilled by this conversation. This is one of the best and one of my favorite conversations I've had on the show because it's just something so near and dear to my heart. And uh, thank you for leading this charge. And I think making a massive, massive impact in the future, you know, for the future of our children, which to me is one of the most, if not the most critical thing that we do with our limited time here on earth. So thank you. Well, thank you for having me. What you are doing is so important, helping people to become entrepreneurs, but also to stay entrepreneurs and to continue to reap the benefits that come from when we are 
in charge of our own lives. And so what you're doing is so important. And thank you for having me on. My pleasure. I hope today's episode gave you exactly what you needed. And if it spoke to you, please leave us a review and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on the next juicy episode. And don't be shy. I don't bite often. So come connect with me over on Instagram at Eliz Hartke. And if there's a topic or a question, a guest you want to hear on the show or an idea you have for us, just reach out and share your thoughts. We do this for you. So the more you tell us, the more we can serve. Thank you for spending some time with me. I really do appreciate you. So tune in next time to keep building that legacy and doing the work that really matters.